Let's open our Bibles to um, Daniel chapter 10. Uh, we have three chapters to go, and let's um, go to our text. I've entitled the morning's message, uh, Chariots of Fire, sort of a play on words from the old movie that came out, but actually it comes from the scriptures back in Second Kings, so we'll be going there. But um, let's turn to chapter 10, verse 10, where Paul read for us earlier, then suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days Yet to come. The first thing that I want to point out that's obvious here is that there's information that was going to be given to Daniel that the powers of hell simply didn't want this information out. And in the in the spiritual dimension, there was a standoff, and it lasted uh, for some 21 days. There's a lot of implications here. Um, the one that's most obvious is that uh, there are some demonic forces that are more powerful than others. We'll develop that as we get into our study this morning. And um, there are some demonic powers that can actually uh, withstand um, the, the angels that didn't fall. And in this case, it wasn't until Michael the archangel showed up, and he is one of the heaviest of the heavyweights, where Gabriel would be a messenger, we find that Michael, without exception, is a warrior. And remember in Revelation 12, it says that the devil and his angels or Mike, uh, um, stood against Michael and his angels. And we'll be touching on that this morning. So as, as we get into these last three chapters, they should be treated as one vision. Uh, the vision relates to the nation of Israel, not only in the immediate future, but also in the latter days. Let me give you an example. As we've been going through Daniel, um, we find that historically there's this little horn, and we've studied that a couple weeks ago. We found out this guy's name is Antioch Epiphanes. He does something that is going to happen in the future. In the latter days, it still hasn't happened yet with another little horn in Daniel, but they're two different horns. One's Antioch Epiphanes, past tense, history, and the other one is the beast or the Antichrist, and he is yet to come. So when it tells here this has information that has to do for many days to come, and it's going to be in the latter days, it's even going on past us. So as we go through Daniel, we want to keep in mind that in two verses you can have something that's historical and have something that's yet prophetic and yet to come. Now, the key to understanding these last three chapters is found in the explanation that the angel gives to Daniel, and I've made mention of this. Now, I come to make you understand what will befall your people in the latter days. And then one of the cautions that I would say here is, let me caution you uh, not to try to put the church in uh, this particular chapter, as it refers to the latter days, it refers to Israel. Now, we are moving into some very weird stuff, to say the least. Maybe you would call it um, strange, but this morning we're actually going to rip the veil off and take a peek um, into the unseen world that exists. Now, whether you're conscious of it or not this morning, 
there are angelic beings in our midst. We're just not aware of them. Uh, I'll make reference to guardian angels this morning. Uh, That's clearly taught in 1 Corinthians. And um, having said that, we're going to find out as we get into the New Testament that there are demonic forces um, also at work uh, 24-7. And uh, let's go back to verse 1 through 4, and we'll start making our way. One of my points again this morning is the absolute necessity of, of teaching the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Otherwise, you're going to get into some pretty weird stuff. So I'll take a little rabbit trail this morning. Um, those who do not teach through the entire Bible and just how weird things can get as a result of doing so. But in verses 1 through 4, it sort of dates us. And it's a, it's a real different period of time because the decree to go back has been given. Um, we're in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. A message was sent. It was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true. But the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. But in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I ate, no unple- I ate no pleasant food. I didn't eat meat or wine. And now I find this interesting, because remember when Daniel first came to Babylon uh, to separate himself Um, evidently the meat here was some sort of kosher meat, but he would only have vegetables in chapter 1. Here he's withholding himself from pleasant food, period. It's mentioned um, uh, pleasant food or meat or wine came to my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. In other words, he didn't take a bath for three weeks. (laughs) Uh, Till the three weeks were fulfilled, and then... 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is, the, the, uh, the Tigris. Uh, the cause for the mourning uh, is a result. Uh, this is the third year of Cyrus. Um, and in his first year, he made the decree which permitted Israel to return to the land. Now it's been two full years. So we talked about this with the uh, the command with with Nehemiah also. But we're in between that period of time. So here we have uh, Cyrus, two years passing, and less than 50,000 people actually return. You can go, you're free. But less than 50,000 actually return. Now, this is before the group Ezra and the group under Nehemiah had returned. Remember, Nehemiah was also bummed out because people were back, but they were all doing nothing. And so we have this in-between period of time. There's Jews back in Jerusalem, less than 50,000. Nothing's getting done. And it's probably one of the reasons for the mourning. Daniel receives this vision from the Lord and um, a sort of a, a separate um, section here in five and nine, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll, I'll say first of all, um, I'm not going to be dogmatic about what I believe here. There's other people who believe uh, the personage is either an angel or the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read it and I'll tell you which side of the fence I'm on in that one. Five through nine. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face, the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sounds of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Now, does this sound a little bit familiar? What happened when Paul got saved? You know, Paul was taking it all in, but the other guys, uh, they didn't have a clue what was going on. 
And um, that reminds me of this. Verse 8, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. No strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to um, frailty, in, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. I believe um, this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus because of the verbiage is spot on, word for word, identical. You don't have to turn, I'll, I'll read it. When John saw Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, I'm quoting verses 12, 13 through 16. John says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, and he is the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about a chest with a golden band, just like the one here in Daniel. His head was, his, and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is a voice, the sound of many waters. In his right hand he had seven stars, and out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. As we go from nine to ten, I believe that we have a picture of the Lord sending now an angel, to give a message to Daniel, which, again, I can't um, express the significance and the importance of the book of Daniel, and what if it was never given to us? And um, not knowing the very day the Messiah would come, first coming, not knowing the very day that he would come at the second coming, not be able to put together the abomination of desolation. And none of of that information uh, does the enemy want us to have. But let me take it a step farther. There are many so-called higher critics um, who've studied theology, and they've determined that (laughs) the book of Daniel is so perfectly spot on. Case in point, Alexander's generals says there will be four of them. And they'll divide up his kingdom. That's exactly what happened. Here, if you read it, Daniel dates it himself. He says, this is happening in the third year of Cyrus. Now, as for me and my house, I'm going to believe the word of God, which says um, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof and righteousness, so on and so forth. It's infallible. And so if I'm going to believe the critic... Or am I going to believe what Daniel says in verse 1? No brainer. I believe verse 1 that this was um, written. And what we have here is angel wars going on. And um, with that being said, certainly if the Lord Jesus Christ was the one um, trying to get past the king of Persia, he would have put him in his place pretty quickly, just like he did with Satan when he was tempted in the New Testament. So now as we get to verse 10, it's our text. Um, We have the date. I believe the Lord sending, I believe possibly an angel, but not one as powerful as this demonic angel called the prince of the king of Persia. Let's pick it up in verse uh, 10. Then suddenly a hand touched me and made me tremble on my feet in the palm of my hand. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved. Uh, does that sound familiar? We made a point, and I'll go back and make it again. Go back to chapter 9. And um, in verse 23, we're about to receive the most important prophecy in the Bible. It's called Daniel's 70th week. That begins in verse 24. And if you weren't here last week, uh, you can get the CD. But notice in 23, um, we have Gabriel showing up. 
Now, Gabriel's a messenger more than a warrior. And um, verse 23 says, At the beginning of your supplication, the commandment went out, and I have come to tell you that you're greatly beloved. Well, Daniel's all psyched up because he just has been reading (laughs) Jeremiah, and he says, time's up. We're supposed to be going home. That's all he wants to know. But the point that, that I'd like to make here, he says, is you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Love before information. Um, some people, some Christians, um, don't even know the Lord, have a relationship, a love relationship with the Lord, but they have a lot of intellectual information. And what I'm seeing here is the order is love first, information later. Daniel, I'm going to tell you what you want to know. But what you really need to know is that God loved the world so much that he gave. And then Jesus said to those who believe on him, he says, I'm not going to call you servants because a servant, a master doesn't tell a servant anything. He's the boss. But he said a friend will tell a friend everything. And he says, I call you friends, and I'm going to tell you everything. But let's take it a step farther. More than friends, um, we are the bride of Christ, and he is our husband. Good place for an amen. And in that, a choice is involved. He doesn't twist your arm and say, you're going to be my wife, period. No, he explains the gospel, what he did for you, how much he loves you. Greater love is no man than this, that a man would lay down his life. In this case, for his bride. So we don't want to make the mistake that the church of Ephesus made. They had it all going. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left. Notice not lose, you left your first love. Well, how is that possible? Well, by getting caught up in busyness and work, ministry, And you can actually uh, lose um, that first love relationship with the Lord. So here in 9.23, but also um, in chapter 10 where we are here, um, again he says in verse 11, Oh, Daniel, I want you to know first of all, before we get talking here, you're greatly beloved. So understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Um, and this is almost without exception. If, if people tell me they see an angel and they're not totally freaked out by the experience, <laughs> I doubt that they really saw an angel. Because every time you see one in the Bible, they're flat on their face and they're worshiping the angel. And angels say, don't do that. I'm just a servant just like you. So then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come now because of your words. And now he tells us why the slowdown. But... The prince of the kingdom of Persia. This is a demonic principality. He withstood me for 21 days. In other words, this angel couldn't get around this other angel. He was holding him up until Michael shows up. Now, Michael is um, mentioned also in the book of Jude when it comes to getting it on with the devil. It says they contended for the body of Moses, but he didn't dare bring a railing accusation against him. We'll dive into that a little bit more here. But is everybody with me? We have a war going on here. And it wasn't until a stronger angelic authority named Michael, who is a warrior, one of the chief princes came to uh, for I had been left alone there for the king of Persia. But now that I'm here... I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people. Again, the church is not involved in the great tribulation period. And what is the information that is going to be given to us is going to deal with that period of time. For the vision refers to many days yet to come in the latter days. All right. At this point, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
Um, get your Bibles out. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. We have some um, <laughs> page turning to do this morning. Let's just put it that way. So Colossians chapter 1. Let me draw your attention <clears throat> and establish a hierarchy in the angelic realm on both sides. So let's pick it up. Colossians 1 verse 15 speaking about the preeminence of Jesus. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Uh, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, whether they're visible or invisible, whether there are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, These are all angelic beings with different ranks. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Well, what we're being told here when it gets to the principalities and powers, that in angels there are actually different orders, ranks, and positions, and they have various powers and abilities. Um, This makes a separation in God's creation, not only of that which is in heaven and that which is in earth, but also that which is visible and which is invisible. There is a great realm today that is invisible. We are discovering that there are a great many things in the world of energy that we know very little about. Boy, I wish I could get sidetracked here because I saw PBS... uh, program or NOVA program this week on light and energy and electricity. And it blew my mind as it talked about the power and uh, that, that's in light. And they could actually, see, I told them I wasn't going to go there and I'm going there. I'm going to get myself in trouble and I'm going to forget where I was. But, you know, you can take a prism and you can break up invisible light and you can see the different spectrums. Well, they started being able to weigh and measured the protons, electrons, in these spectrums, and they found that one color was more powerful than the other. And then there was no more color. And Voltar, or Newton, I can't remember which one it was, a couple years later discovered that past the spectrum, um, there's an invisible light that you can't break up into a spectrum that's even more powerful than the ones that you can see. And if you ever get a chance to see the program, it's it's just a mind-boggler. And so when it talks about different levels of energy and power, that's actually a fact when it comes to just light that comes from the sun and the power that's there. We're told that he created thrones, which would be the archangels like Michael and Gabriel and other uh, special... um, Envoys. There are dominions, which would be the cherubim and the seraphim. There are principalities, which would be the generals, or the brass of the angelic host. And then powers would be the private, such as serve as guardian angels. There are guardian angels. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, if you're taking notes, refers to these spirits that have been sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. So, if you're an heir of salvation this morning, that means you accepted the Lord, you're born again, your name's written in the book of life, you have a guardian angel. That's not because I say so. Um, It's just the fact. Ask George Bailey. You know? Absolute proof. Just making sure you're listening. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. A little bit to your left. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's deal with the principalities. In verse 10 through 17, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? There it is, principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness 
in the heavenly places. And um, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded yourself with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with uh, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Here, it clearly tells us that we are in a spiritual war. And when a person comes to Christ, yeah, I tell them their names put in heaven, and I tell them the angels are rejoicing, and then I tell them that you're going to be in for a war every day of your life, 24-7, until the Lord takes you home. I want to be honest with you. And we'll develop that thought in a little bit. So here, um, many folks think today that Satan is against religion. Not at all. He is very much in promoting religion. It's Jesus Christ that is opposing. There are two groups that move in the area of this universe in which we live. They are engaged in a a ceaseless warfare to capture the souls of men. We read it in our psalm this morning, that there's a war going on over the souls of men. And most people, at least in America, go on with their life day by day without a clue that there's a spiritual realm and that um, um, you could have been supernaturally protected by your guardian angel and not even know it. Aren't we told in the New Testament, be careful how you entertain strangers that you've never met before? Because some of you guys have entertained angels unaware. Well, what does that mean? That means you had them over for supper and you didn't even know it. Some have entertained angels unaware. I've often wondered about some people that I've run into. I thought, what could it possibly be? (laughs) And wondering. So... Let me give you an Old Testament example of this invisible war. Uh, Go back to 2 Kings chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Elisha wanted a double portion whatever Elijah had. Uh, He was his protege. Uh, He was discipled by Elijah. Elijah's coming back. The last thing the Old Testament tells us in the book of Malachi is Elijah's coming back. He appears in Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. He appears in Revelation 11, verses 2 and 3, as the two witnesses. Now, Elijah, Jah, has been taken to heaven. Now, Elisha has taken his mantle. Picking it up in verse 13, Elijah is with his servant, and in verse 13 it says, Go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots, thereafter Elijah, and a great army. And they came by night, and they surrounded the city where Elijah and his servants were. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army um, arose that surrounded the city, and they had horses and chariots, the city, and um, the servant said to him, Alas, in other words, we're done for. Alas, my master, what are we going to do? And Elisha answered and said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I think it probably went right over his head. And then Elisha prayed, and he says, Lord, I pray that you open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And the rest of the chapter is, you got to have to read it on your own because it takes too much time to develop it. But uh, he, he blinds these guys and takes them to Samaria. And um, they want to kill him in Samaria. He says, no, you're not going to kill him. If you, if you caught him, you can do what you want him to with him. But I caught him. So I want you to feed him supper, give him a good meal, send him home. And that's primarily 
what's the rest of what's going on here. Well, the point here is Elijah could see them. His servant couldn't. And Daniel could see and hear, but his servants couldn't. And so there is this ability that the Lord gives to some, in this case, Elijah's servant, um, also to Balaam's donkey, (laughs) who opened the eyes of a donkey. And I always like to tell people, if you think you're unusual, just just remember... (laughs) Bale's donkey. If he can use the donkey, he can use you, he can use me. And, um, but they were around it. And they said, don't worry about a thing. And he prayed this little prayer, okay, blind all this entire army. And he said, what you looking for? And he told me, he said, oh, you're in the wrong city. Let me take, to, take you to where you want to go. So the invisible realm, we find it in the Old Testament, we find it here in Second Kings. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 10 and read of one more demon that Michael is going to have to deal with. Let's pick it up now in verse 15. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the Son of Man touched my lips, And then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood by me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrow has overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of my Lord's talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remained in me now, nor any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of the man touched me and strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Notice the explanation point. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And then he says, And when I have gone forth... Indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you um, what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So he is an angel, archangel, with a specific job of protecting and overseeing the Jewish people. All right. Little rabbit trail at this point. When we're teaching... It gives me an opportunity to expose false doctrine that's out there, false teaching. And I would like to do that this morning with um, what we have here is two demons where it appears they're given authority over Persia. And then another one over the territory of what we would call Greece. Now, from this... Um, has arisen a doctrine that we refer to as the false doctrine of territorial spirits. And the doctrine basically comes from C. Peter Wagner and John Wimber. Matter of fact, when um, uh, Fuller University started going downhill, it was because of people like C. Peter Wagner and John Wimber. John Wimber caused a split Uh, in the Calvary Chapel movement because he wanted to put the emphasis on signs and wonders. And Chuck said, no way, Jose, our priority is the word of God. Good place for an amen. But he said, if you want to leave, John, go right ahead and do your own thing. And he did. He started the vineyards. Well, C. Peter Wagner was a professor at um, Fuller, and they actually together taught a class on territorial scriptures. Now, remember, we got two guys here and um, they're not, they're, they're, they're basing their doctrine on their experiences. Now, one of the things that Jesus warned us against in Matthew 24 is be careful about being deceived when it comes to false Christ and false teachers because they're going to show you signs and wonders with the very purpose to deceive. 
Now, the reason we're tying in Revelation 13 right now with the book of Daniel is a false prophet calls fire out of heaven, and by doing so, he deceived those who dwell on the earth. And did not Janus and Jambri, were they not also able to duplicate some of the miracles that Moses did? So miracles is no problem for the demonic realm. Obviously different degrees because Janus and Jambri couldn't do everything that Moses could. So again, we see there's, there's levels here of it. But I want to talk about territorial spirits. Why? Because see, Peter Wagner came through here and he's saying every city is controlled by territorial spirits. And what you must do is bind them and take control of them and um, then your city will be one for Christ. And they traveled the country doing this. I should say they're both dead now. Both of them have died. The problem here, inherent in the term territorial spirits, is that some Christians believe it is their duty to engage territorial demons in spiritual warfare. This, however, cannot be justified by Scripture. There is not a single instance in the Bible where someone actually sought out a demon in order to engage it. Demon-possessed individuals were encountered, and some were brought to Jesus and his disciples for healing, but the disciples didn't go out looking for demons to cast out of people. No one in the Bible ever prayed that the demon princes of a town to be bound from working their will against the residents of that town. Well, these guys went around from town to town, taking it in the name of Jesus. They said, you have a sword here. You can't see it, but you have one. And you take it out. And you take dominion over these territorial spirits. Well, time proves all things, doesn't it? If that's true, then um, not one of these cities that they took for Christ ever, ever became any more righteous nor did it ever become known as a Christian town. Why? Because it simply doesn't exist. You would expect a city that would be one for Christ, but there's not one that ever was. As with all those who do not teach expositional, or verse by verse, uh, from the word, they always begin to venture into these areas and they always end up in the same place. Eventually, the Bible is no longer the authority or the means of the truth. They continue to experiment and develop theories on the basis of their experiences, believing the Holy Spirit is leading them in a new revelation. And gang, I want to tell you it's happening today. That's what the Vineyard Movement was all about. It was, where's the Spirit falling now so that we can go there? That's what the Bronzeville Revival was all about. Hey, the Spirit's down here. So, Assemblies of Gods and other groups were going to Bronzeville. And then it was Lakeville, Florida. And then it was Toronto, Canada, and the Toronto Blessing. The, the Spirit's falling here, the Spirit's falling there. No, they were um, causing... Uh, Chuck, this is the way Chuck explained it. He says, guys, if... I remember one of his conferences. He says, guys, if you, if you follow this, he said, I've been around long enough to see everything come around at least once and repeat itself. If you follow the signs and wonders experience, what's going to happen is this. You better have something more dramatic next week than you had the week before, or eventually you're going to lose them. And I watched the church be destroyed here in the valley because of a pastor who took his staff down there and brought worldwide revival back here, and it turned out to be a worldwide exodus, unfortunately. And um, with that, let's turn to Acts chapter 19 and the danger of getting involved with going after demons. In Acts chapter 19, now Jesus, let me clarify this, in Mark 16, the Lord actually said, if you're born again and you're my disciple, these signs will follow. In my name, you will cast out devils. You will have authority because I give you my authority and you will have that authority. And I have personal stories where it's happened to me and, and uh, 
And that's a whole other study there. But in Acts 19, picking it up in verse 11, um, Paul was in Ephesus, and all kinds of miracles were happening. And in verse 11, now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even a handkerchief or an apron were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left them, and the evil spirit went out of them. Do you ever see uh, TV preachers selling prayer cloths? Selling hankies? And they put them out there. Benny Hinn is one of them. He goes, I prayed over this. It is now anointed. And for nineteen ninety-five a month, and uh, we will send you this, and all you have to do is use it. And, of course, it's a scam. Because Paul did it here doesn't mean that it, it transfers. All right, but in verse 13, then some of the interrant Jews that were exorcists, notice it says, it, they took it upon themselves, uh, the name of the Lord Jesus, over those who had evil spirits. And they said, we adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen this one. And there were also seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did likewise. And the evil spirit answered and talked and said, Jesus I know, I know Paul, but who are you guys? You say, they weren't born again. They had no authority. Then a man in whom the spirit uh, was in leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked (laughs) and wounded. And this became known to all the Jews. You don't want to mess around in the spiritual realm. And, um, you know, the enemy is subtle. He's sly. He doesn't show you his cards. Um, He tries to get you at an early age with a Ouija board or Dungeons and Dragons, or messing around uh, in the occult. Uh, The drug culture, which I was very much a part of in the 60s, I wasn't aware of the demonic side of it until I was born again. And um, then my eyes were opened to um, the hallucinogenics and what's really in that dimension, that the uh, psychiatric, (laughs) no, psychedelic. (laughs) You old-timers know what I'm talking about. Um, And I've seen demons uh, when I was taking LSD and and those sort of things. And then when I was born again, boy, the, the, the shock and the fear of what I was messing around with, that all became um, very, I became very, very much aware of that realm. Now, I'm telling you that t- today because most people aren't aware of spiritual warfare. Do you know that there's spir- spiritual warfare going on in your life every day? And I'll give you uh, an example of that, what Jesus teaches on Satan and demons. You need to turn to Luke chapter 11. Picking it up in verse 14, it says, And he was casting out a demon, and he was mute. So the demon was causing a person not be able to speak. So when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. Here's a guy who couldn't talk. He was demon-possessed. The Lord cast out the demon. He could speak just fine. Now, some of the Pharisees said, but some of them said, well, he casts out demons by Belzebub, the ruler of the demons. And others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to him, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against the house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Belzebub. Basically, the Lord say, what you guys are saying doesn't make any sense. And if I cast out demons by Belzebub, by whom do you and your sons cast them out? Question. Therefore, there will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come to you. 
He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted, and he divides his spoils. Now he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather will scatter. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places and seeking rest and finding none, he says, well, I'll return to my house from which I came. But when he gets there, he finds it swept and put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last um, state of the man is worse than the first. What do we have here? Well, um, in Jesus' teaching, first of all, I say it makes no sense to say that Satan is going to cast out Satan. That simply is not um, the fact. But the demon that leaves a person and then comes back, it finds the place all swept up and clean. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is what I think it means. I believe that there's people today on drugs and alcohol and other things that, um, that they're addicted to or whatever, and maybe it's part of demon possession, maybe not. Um, uh, they have a time where they say, I need to get my act together. And they call one of these 1-800 hotlines and um, uh, they join a 12-step program. And um, they're told that they need a higher power. And so they actually clean themselves up and they get off the drugs and so on and so forth. So now the demon comes back and the guy's straight. And he's, he isn't like he was before. And um, basically he's gone through a reformation. Well, a reformation is not what's needed. Regeneration is what is needed. Imagine living that lifestyle getting all messed up, and then getting your act together by yourself, and you're reformed. You join the Peace Corps. Uh, you do go around the world um, doing great social programs, and you don't see your need, because you become a good person, you think, to ever get saved again. So now, to reinforce that, this guy is in seven times worse place than he was before. Because when he was messed up, at least he knew he was messed up. And instead of joining a 12-step program, do you know that the Bible has a 12-step program? Here's, here's the Bible's 12-step program. Repent, get saved, and then repeat that 12 times. Not reformation. You, you, you know people who, have, who are reformed. Somehow they've cleaned themselves up. But if they're still not born again, why did Jesus say it's easier for a prostitute or a tax collector to enter the kingdom of heaven than the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, you see, the scribes and the Pharisees thought they were pretty good guys. But you didn't have to convince a prostitute she was a sinner. She knew that. She knew she needed Jesus. Jesus cast out seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. So what we find here is the devil loves religion. He just doesn't want you to make you aware and get convicted by the Holy Spirit, and you repent, and you trust in God's grace instead of your works. So he loves religion just fine. And if he can keep you content in that state of mind, you can die in your sins. Everybody follow me with that one? So let's go to, at this point, to Luke chapter 8, which is just a couple pages back. Jesus is teaching on spiritual warfare. In Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 4, we have a very popular and famous parable, the parable of the sower. And when a great multitude had gathered together, had come from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seeds. Now, we, we look at, live in a technological environment, but... 
just for the last hundred years, you know, everybody was a farmer. And the idea of sowing seeds was pretty common. And he sowed, and some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on a rock, and as soon as it sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some of it fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does the parable mean? And he says, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. What you're hearing this morning is the word of God. And basically, for you here, here and um, those watching online, we basically have four different types of hearts. We find out in the, the last one that the ground is the person's heart. And you're hearing God's word. But how it affects you, Jesus now explains. First of all, the one who hears uh, by the wayside are the ones who hear But then comes the devil and takes the word out of their heart lest they should believe and be saved. Some people can hear the gospel. and um, um, But then immediately the Bible teaches that is one of the places that the enemy attacks right at the beginning. When did he attack Jesus? Right after the 40 days in the wilderness after being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. So I always tell a person, yeah, you just accepted Jesus right now, but now let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go home and tell your boyfriend that you just got saved. And um, your boyfriend is going to say, <laughs> if you think you're going to come on those holy rollers, you can say adios to me, I'm out of here. And he has his methods and ways of using people to undermine, and some people aren't willing to take a stand for the Lord instead of somebody who's going to call them a Jesus freak or a holy ruler. And um, they, they can't handle it, and they capitulate. That's what happens here. But he will come, and he will try to take it away. At this point, I would say that the Lord says, if anybody loves father or mother or sister or brother more than me, then you can't be my disciple. Ooh, would you let that sink in just a little bit? If anybody loves father, mother, sister, brother more than me, you can't be my disciple. That's why this whole area of love here. Well, here we're told in the parable that it was a bird, okay, that ate the seed. Well, who is the bird? Well, we have the explanation. The bird is none other than the devil himself. So what is Jesus teaching? As soon as the gospel is presented, the spiritual warfare begins. And he tries to take the seed out. Well, he succeeded there. He succeeded in the second one. They received the word with joy, but in time of temptation, they fell away. Uh, They started walking the Christian walk, and all of a sudden they start going through trials. And they go, I didn't sign up for this. No, Joel will tell me I'm going to have a better life, and my life isn't better right now. And so they leave. The third one, they are saved, uh, but they don't bring forth any fruit. In other words, the cares and riches and pleasures of this world keep them from being about their father's business. Will they be in heaven? Absolutely. Will they have anything to show for it? No. The last one is the one you want to be. The one that fell on a good ground are those having heard the word of God with a good and noble heart. So now we know that the ground is the heart. They keep it and they bear fruit with patience. Now, there's a rule uh, that we're taught, and I hate using it because it's a big theological term, but it's absolutely essential in explaining the parables. It's called expositional constancy. And if you turn with me to Matthew 
chapter 13, we have the parables of Matthew chapter 13. My point here is, with expositional constancy, it means if the Lord uses a character like a bird in a parable and explains who the bird is, in this case the devil, if it's not explained and you find a bird in another parable and it's not explained, you have to apply the expositional constancy. It's consistent. A bird in this parable is going to be the same as a bird in this parable. So in verse 31, we have the parable of the mustard seed. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. It's the least of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it's greater than the herbs, and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And you girls ever plant mustard seed for your mustard? Oh, they grow up about this high, but not this one. What we have here is a mustard seed that grew into this great tree. And then what happened in this great big tree is the birds of the air came and made their nests in it. And as I was reading different commentaries on this this week, uh, McGee comments on this, and he says, the parable reveals the outward growth of the organized church. You see, something unnatural is happening here. We have a mustard seed that grew into a great big oak tree. That's unnatural. And he goes on to explain that the birds in it, holding to the teaching that the bird is the devil, he's saying that, and I'll break it down into what I see happening today. I see megachurches, and they become very, very large. And in order to become very, very large, they have to compromise with biblical truth. And when you do that, you've invited the birds into the church. And you don't teach repentance anymore. You teach how to become a better you. And it's more all about you than the Bible says the volume of the book is about who? It's about Jesus. And we need to be more like him rather than having a better life for us. Tough place to say amen. But David Hawking's coming. Thank you. I just got his newsletter yesterday. He is coming in September. See you in September, David. So Jesus actually told the parable of something that's not natural and that the birds of the air. So if you're applying expositional constancy to it, the birds have to refer to demonic beings who are very much into religion. And they like religion if it'll keep you from coming to Christ. Kept my dad from coming to Christ for 25 years. Went to church every Sunday. Put 20 bucks in the plate every Sunday. And when he got born again, by a miracle, he went back to his pastor and said, I've been going here for 25 years. Not one time did anybody tell me, I have to be born again. He was upset. And he was mad because he figured he'd wasted 50 years of his life. Papa died a poor man from the world's point of view. In my eyes, he died a very, very wealthy man. And um, I better leave that. Alone, move on and close this thing up. Let's close with um, Daniel was experiencing angel wars. We're in the book of Daniel. We have a clear chapter that teaches that there's warfare that takes place. It happened in Daniel's time. It happens today because demonic spirits and angels are eternal beings. They will live forever. The Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. The devil didn't want Daniel to have information about the last days. He doesn't want to know, have you know about the rapture. He doesn't want you to know about the great tribulation and that how the remnant is going to be saved and, and protected from, from the Antichrist, the little, little horn. Involved. But Daniel, if we take a a practical application here, he was persistent in one thing. 
He wouldn't stop praying. I got a question at this point. What if Daniel quit praying after the first couple of days? What would have happened? Don't know. But we have in Luke chapter 11, and um, this is the meat and the heart and soul of any church, is the prayer life of that church. So in Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to the Lord and say, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And so he says in verse 2, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who has sinned against us. Do not lead us into temptation. And the last thing he says is what? But deliver us from the evil one. And then he gives this parable. I would say of Daniel that he was used to hearing from the Lord. And when he prayed and he didn't get an answer, he wasn't going to stop praying until he got an answer. And so here is the parable of the persistent friend, and um, we'll leave it with that this morning. And he told them this parable. He said, which of you having a friend who goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, uh, would you lend me three loaves of bread? For some friends of mine have come to me on a journey. I don't have anything to serve them. And he answered from within and said, leave me alone. The door's shut. My kids are in bed. I don't want to get out of bed. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs just to get rid of the guy. (laughs) And I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. You praying about somebody? I called Stan and Linda Holcher this week, and um, Stan got back with me, and I said, Stan, I got a favor to ask. And uh, I said, I want, I want to use you as a story, but I won't do that without getting your permission first from you and Linda. And he says, what do you want? I said, well, your wife prayed for you for 19 years. She was persistent in praying for her husband for 19 years until he got saved. How he got saved, he didn't want to get saved. We were going to Israel. His life dream was to see the pyramids which was one of our side trips. So he only went along on the trip so he could see the pyramids. He had no interest in going to Israel or hanging out with Christians for two weeks. But something can happen to you when you hang out with Christians for two weeks and you're in the land of Israel. And after 19 years of praying, Stan gave his heart to Jesus. And um, uh, they, they, when they come, uh, usually they come for the second service because they drive quite a way to get here. All that to say this, don't quit praying. Be persistent in prayer. Daniel did. There was spiritual warfare going on. The battle rages. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 5, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then it says, and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of God. Why does it say that? Because every thought that comes into your head isn't necessarily from you. It could be the Lord. But it could also be a demon. And that's why we're told to bring it into captivity. You see, if C. Peter Wagner and John Wimber would have done that, and sifted it through and brought that thought into captivity and said, does this line up with the word of God? Uh, There would be no false doctors like territorial demon spirits out there today that, that they forwarded. Friend, the Christian life is a bigger undertaking than any of us ever dreamed it could be. 
You and I need to recognize how much we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how much we need the the presence of Christ. We need to be more conscious of the fact that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. Remember, Satan wants to take you out. You believe that? A lot of people say, devil, there's no devil, there's no demons. Jesus said, Peter, come here, I want to talk to you. Um, I was just talking to Satan, and he has a desire to sift you like wheat. That's what he told Peter. He said, but Peter, I've, I've prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. He didn't say, just let me get my hands on, on Lucifer. I'll show him who's in charge here. No. He said, I prayed for your faith, Peter, that your faith wouldn't fail in the time of your testing. Submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you realize it's that simple, Christian? I call him a a big dog with no teeth, a lot of bark and no bite, or a bumblebee without a stinger. They annoy you, but Jesus said all you have to do is blow him off, resist him, and he'll flee from you. And finally, here's the good news, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, as we pull the curtain back and look behind to this invisible realm this morning, um, we're told not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. We thank you that your word teaches us and gives us instructions about the spiritual realm and that we're not ignorant of his devices. So bless your word to your people this morning, Lord. I pray for those that are in spiritual warfare right now that um, uh, they just continue in prayer until they come out the other end victorious like Daniel. In Jesus' name, amen.